lot of people wonder why, why does the Reformation happen um, at the time that it does? What's going on in, in late medieval Christianity? Um, and, you know, a lot of times the story gets told that, um, you know, late medieval Christianity was kind of a spiritual wasteland and all of a sudden, you know, Martin Luther comes along and he issues his protest, kind of great man theory of history, and uh, suddenly from his little spark it like spreads everywhere. And that's not really historically true. What you have in the late Middle Ages is a realization pretty much by everybody of any sort of amount of piety that there's something wrong with the church. Um, and so what happens at the time of the Reformation is it's not just that Martin Luther protests and it spreads, but protests are popping up. Uh, attempts at reform are emerging in different places, in different contexts. And that's why uh, the Reformation produces so many different kinds of reform. Reforms that are uh, coming out of a particular experience of the church not being what Jesus died for. Uh, people experiencing the institution of the church as needing to be reformed so that it more reflected who God intended the church to be. So this is true in Spain, for example, um, with the reforms that are undertaken by uh, Queen Isabella, and you know who was a pious uh, woman reformer, really in many ways, and uh, also Teresa of Avila, pious woman reformer. Now these are reforms that ended up remaining in communion with the Bishop of Rome. So we think of Spain as Roman Catholic, but it was a place of reform where they produce a, a, a polyglot Bible that had uh, the ancient Hebrew version, the ancient Greek version, and the Latin Vulgate version all together and with the belief that from this would flow a purer theology. Now, you know, 50 years later after the Protestants had gotten along, that kind of a statement would have gotten you in, in real big trouble, but at this time that was serious. They wanted to reform the monasteries. Um, the church and the you know, worldly, secular world were so intimately connected. Um, there were so many practices in the church that uh, because the church was powerful, because the church had grown wealthy, um, that uh, resulted in corruption. Um, monasteries would be founded and uh, then over time, uh, say, the nobility would have their illegitimate children decide, well, here's a good career for you in the church. So they'd have their children join a monastery, and then they would endow that monastery with enough money so that that child could be raised in the way to which they hoped that child would be accustomed. Uh, and then, you know, you'd have a child who's an abbot of a huge monastery with incredible wealth at the age of nine or something. Um, bishops were serving multiple parishes, multiple bishop sees, uh, which means they're not actually present overseeing the churches in their area. Instead, they're just getting the income, which comes from vast estates of land, from multiple places coming in, and they're living like princes. Um, there is the buying and selling of uh, ecclesial positions because they all have endowments attached to them, so they're lucrative to have. So if you can 
by a uh, church uh, position, either a clerical position, a church uh, pastor position, or a bishop position, that's a steady stream of wealth coming into your, into your pockets. So one example of the need to reform actually happens a lot earlier um, with the Council of Constance. Jan Hus had uh, tried to reform the church of many of these practices of you know, multiple holdings and uh, of church offices, of not allowing the laity to receive the cup in communion, for example. Uh, and most importantly, the church and the state were so involved with one another that at one point you had the different uh, countries in Europe all choosing their own popes. So at one point you had two popes vying for uh, the, uh, the, the office of pope, each elected by their own curia, one in France, one in Italy. And in order to solve that, they, they, a council decided to get rid of that pope, those two popes, and elect a new one, but the other two didn't uh, accept it, and so you ended up with three popes. And then all of Europe has to line up with who's their pope, so to speak. Um, in the midst of that, Jan Hus, as I said, is protesting some of these other corruptions in the church, of which that is just one example. Uh, and you know, you have one of the three contending popes um, selling indulgences to raise an army for a war against the other two popes. I mean, that's the kind of things that are going on because the church is wealthy, because the church is powerful, and because bishops and the pope as a bishop is also a prince. Now, um, Jan Hus uh, ends up at the Council of Constance uh, getting executed as a heretic. Um, but the Council of Constance solving those three popes doesn't really solve any of the issues that everyone realizes are corruptions within the church structure. Uh, people abusing their power to enrich themselves. When Martin Luther uh, is, comes along, um, one of the things that's going on there is this uh, similar kinds of corruption. Um, we often think of Martin Luther as, as part of Germany. He's, he's within what is at that time known as the Holy Roman Empire, which is uh, made up of a number of states, all of which are uh, ruled by a prince. So if you think about it in terms of the United States, you have sort of the emperor who's like the president, and you have a number of states ruled by other princes who are governors. And there's a kind of power struggle between you know, the federal government and the states, uh, or in this case, the imperial power and the power of uh, individual states. And the way you become emperor is you get elected by uh, a number of electors. Uh, and there are certain princes in the realm who have a vote, and there are seven of them. Um, four of them are secular princes, and three of them are sacred princes or bishops, Bishop of Cologne, the Bishop of Mainz, and the Bishop of Trier. Now, it's coming a long time for an election campaign for the new emperor. And in Brandenburg, the, which is a state in, in the Holy Roman Empire in Germany, capital is Berlin, um, there is a uh, younger son, Al Albert of Brandenburg, who is bishop of, at this point, three different sees. But he wants another one. He wants the Archbishopric of Mainz because if he has the Archbishopric of Mainz, he has a vote in the electorate. And already his brother, who is the Prince of Brandenburg, has a vote. 
So together they would control two of, uh, of the seven votes and that would all help raise their family's uh, status and possibly get his brother elected emperor. So um, he negotiates with the Pope to purchase the Archbishopric of Mainz. Now part of the problem is despite having these three uh, bishoprics that he already is uh, overseeing and obviously not showing up for, but taking the income for it, he doesn't have enough money to buy it. So he negotiates with the Pope and the Pope says to him, okay, I have this project going on in, uh, in Rome and my project in Rome is to build this great beautiful building that will rival anything that ancient Rome had to offer. Uh, and this is St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. So at this time, the, the, Roman, the Pope in Rome, who is also the prince of a territory, of a central territory of Italy, he is the, the secular ruler as well as the Pope, is trying to outdo the glories of Rome, uh, ancient Rome, with this bringing back the Renaissance, this, this idea that we're going to look beyond the medieval life back to the glory days of ancient Rome and we're going to re reinstitute this. So he's building, has this great church building project and what he says to Albert is, I will let you sell indulgences in your territories and these indulgences will be a piece of paper that says um, for the price or for a certain price uh, you can uh, have remission of your sins um, or maybe the remission of sins of somebody who's in purgatory um, for, the, for this donation that you've given out of your penance to the building of St. Peter's Cathedral. And um, he tells Albert, you know, you can use half of that money to buy the bishopric and the other half you send as a donation to, to build the church. So the Pope gets all of it in the end, but the point is Albert gets his, his vote in the, to, to elect the emperor, gets his um, archbishop see, and the Pope gets to build his building. Um, so in, in certain ways, what you, you, know, you think about the Reformation, there's a way in which you can see it as it's, it's a church split over a, over a building project. You know, I mean, that's kind of one way to, to look at it. The problem, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of problems, but that's where Martin Luther kind of comes into the story. You can see the kind of corruption that's going on. Uh, and this is, of course, hurting the poor people who are going out and spending their last cent on a piece of paper that they believe is going to forgive them their sins. But does it? You know, is this actually a legitimate thing? This is people in power using their power to exploit the piety and ignorance of the ordinary people in order to increase their own power and their own wealth. That's the kind of um, uh, corruption that was going on and that everybody in Spain, in uh, England, in Germany, in Switzerland, even in Italy itself uh, was seeing and saying, okay, we've got to do something. We've got to do something because this is not what Jesus died for. <laughs>